you know, when I was a teenager, it was still very much the pre-Me Too world of music. And I was touring around with men who were very nice and had lots of great experiences. But there'd be people on the crew that would treat me very differently because I was a girl. And it still happens occasionally. And that that's painful. I think it's even more painful now than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was young, even though I was a feminist, I was so oppressed in that world, right? That it was even hard for me to realize that they were happening. But now that I'm so aware when those things happen, when you're disrespected or treated lesser than, or people think if you know what you want, then you're a quote unquote, can you say the word bitch on this show? <laughs> if you're a quote unquote bitch, you know, if you know what you want and there's all these microaggressions that can happen, right? But now that I'm aware of them, it's more painful now in my 30s when I notice it happens, even when I was a kid. That was Courtney Marie Andrews. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss the challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music a better space for everyone. Our guest this week really reminded me of the importance of personal stories. It's like learning a recipe for a favorite dish. Once you know the ingredients, you begin to understand how all the flavors work together. And at least for me, that deepens the experience of how it tastes. A hint of this here, a strong presence of that there, and then the new flavors that can only happen by blending things together. Now, I'm not sure if that analogy works for you right now, but once you hear today's conversation, I believe it will. Phoenix, Arizona-born Courtney Marie Andrews has become known as a singer-songwriter and guitarist that lands somewhere in the folk Americana spectrum, especially for her last three albums, 2016's Honest Life, May Your Kindness Remain from 2018, and 2020's Old Flowers, which earned a Grammy nomination for Best Americana Album. But as you'll hear in today's conversation, the folk Americana genre was not the first or even the main ingredient of Courtney's musical evolution, and that's saying nothing of her personal journey rooted in her extremely independent childhood and early feminism and her continued uncompromising commitment to her art. Her brilliant new album, Loose Future, is the most fully realized synthesis of that journey to date. And Courtney Marie Andrews joins us as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Courtney Marie Andrews, welcome to Shiro's Radio. This is long overdue. Yes. Thank you for having me. I am in love with this new album. Congratulations on Loose Future. Thank you. Thank you so much. How is it feeling so far? This is album number nine. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I actually don't even know the count. I feel like everybody's count, including my own, is different. <laughs> I think it's like between a six and nine amount of albums that are out in the world. But it, it feels good, though. I've been at it a long time since I was a kid. So, Well, I was thinking that maybe that's where we could start today. If you don't mind, for those that aren't familiar with you and your story, would you take us back to those beginnings? Yeah. So when I was very young, 
maybe like seven or eight. I loved musicals and I saw Julie Andrews play a guitar and the sound of music and just, you know, started becoming infatuated with that. And my uncle lives in Mexico and my mother was like a poor working class mother who didn't have a lot of money to get a guitar. So she heard that you could get like a really cheap guitar in Mexico. So she gave my uncle like $30 and he brought me back a little nylon string that I just picked for a long time. And it wasn't till like middle school that I was able to take a music class at my school and really start to learn the guitar. And that eventually led to meeting two other girls named Didi and Macy. Didi was like my music guru. She just knew so much about music. It was so cool when we were kids. And me and Macy started a feminist punk band. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we really all were like really into the B Bikini Kill and the Distillers and like these like female-led punk groups. We thought they were so cool. And we, you know, started off playing Bikini Kill and Velvet Underground, Violent Femme songs, you know. And then we kind of had this like meeting where like, we need to write a song. Who's going to write a song? We can't just play these other people's songs. And I went home that night after our band meeting and I just completely fell in love with songwriting. I was the only one that came back with a finished song. And I every week would bring songs to the table and just was like, oh, this is my thing. This is what I love to do. <laughs> What was that so, first song? Do you remember it? Well, the first two songs were, one was called Loser, which was about not having love reciprocated, but being angry about it because it's a punk song. And then the second one was called Five Girl World, which I wrote about this guy that was kind of a player type person. And <laughs> I like wrote it about him living in his five girl world and how arrogant that was. And I was 14 years old. So they're very much those kind of topics. I love it. And yeah. so when you say that you started a feminist punk band, I mean, when you're that age, maybe you start having those realizations about girls can't do that or girls mm. aren't allowed or whatever. Where was that coming from for you? And what was your level of understanding of what feminism even was? Well, I was raised by a single mother and my aunt lived on and off with us with her four children who were all girls and was raised by my grandmother a lot as well. And I think there was a lot of feelings that were very open and honest about strength and being not taken care of. There was a lot of abuse in my family from men in particular. You know, it can come from both, but it was definitely a topic that was in my household a lot. And so in school, I was very interested in characters. Like I remember writing a paper on Amelia Earhart when I was like in second grade and being like, well, Amelia was strong enough to fly all around the world. And, you know, and Jane Goodall, like I was obsessed with Jane Goodall. And I think that just because of the nature of how I was raised, like I was raised by very strong, independent women who maybe sometimes had a chip on their shoulder, you know, like <laughs> yeah. about how the world embraced them or put them down, you know, in, in certain ways. And so I think I just had at a very young age, the feminist thing made so much sense to me. And also I recognized at a very young age that I had a willpower and, and a strength and a willingness to like really go the distance, so to speak, and adventure and do things that girls quote unquote shouldn't do. By the time I was like 17, I was traveling alone on Greyhound buses and hitchhiking. And I was always doing the things girls shouldn't do, you know? And so for whatever reason, it was just 
kind of embedded in my personality because of how I was raised. So. so it sounds like you were able to go forward and do those things maybe with less fear than somebody who didn't have that background. Yeah, absolutely. I was also like a latchkey kid. So by the time I was like seven or eight, I was walking myself home from school, cooking myself dinner. I had to have that mentality. I had to for my perseverance to survive. You know, it's like I definitely felt a different kind of strength. We have Courtney Marie Andrews here with us. Her new album is called Loose Future. Why don't we get to a song here? Does any song come to mind as we're talking about your background and your independence and maybe your feminism? That's a great question. You know, in some ways, I would say maybe you do what you want, mainly because it's a song that's like, I'm aware of what you do. I'm not dumb or naive to it. And so I'm going to point it out. It's like we all know those people. I'm not even going to say men, but we all know those people who somehow get away with whatever they do. Yeah. And they're, and everybody's like, oh, it's just because that's how they are. And it's like, wait, but if any of us did that, it would not be okay, you know? <laughs> not to throw men under the bus because we love men too, but do they get away with more than we do? I mean, historically, yes, <laughs> I would say 100%. But I don't think women are immune. You know, I think it's a human quality for yeah. sure. But Yes, I mean, that's why feminism exists. You and I in the corner of a room at an awkward party where no one was talking as you were walking the disaster. I still hold space for you. Andrews here with us on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called Loose Future. So we just heard the song, You Do What You Want. And we were talking about your background and the way that you built your independence as a little girl and as a young woman and how you were taking Greyhound buses by the time you were 17. I was kind of getting both myself and our audience caught up on your background. And it was fun to hear you talk about being in punk bands, a feminist punk band. That wouldn't be something that it would immediately come to mind when you listen to your music like she must have had her start in punk <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah how did your sound evolve yeah well I started songwriting and unfortunately Massacre in a Miniskirt my first feminist punk band crumbled oh my god that's such a good band name though can we bring I that know. back I know I need to get in touch with Dee Dee and Macy so once that kind of disintegrated and I realized that I was maybe the most passionate in a sense and just wanted to keep writing songs, I got a Walmart microphone and this really strange software called Acid Planet. Another good band name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This like DJ software, that, like really bad, like not industry standard software at all. But my mother had, you know, a big, huge computer and I set it all up and downloaded the software by CD and they had a forum online that you could upload your songs to. And I started to like cut my own music at home and experiment with that. And I started posting my music to this forum and a few people were like, oh, you sound 
like blah, blah, blah. And it would be like Elliot Smith or Lucinda Williams. But that wasn't actually on the forum. But just in these veins, like you, somebody said, actually, you kind of sound folky. And I know this sounds ridiculous. But when they said that, I was like, folky, that's this is not to be ageist. But I was like, at the time as a kid, I was like, that's old people music. Like who listens to folk? And then I started checking out these records that people were telling me about on the forum, checking out folk records at the record store in Phoenix. And I was like, oh, I like really resonate with this. Like these are like stories. And that's why I love songwriting because I'm writing stories. And that sort of was like the mental shift. And I realized like the punk music that I loved was actually the more melodic storytelling punk. You know, like I always loved like the Distillers and City of Angels, like those kinds of songs. I was like, or Social Distortion. They're playing like country songs, but like punk, you know? So that was kind of the switch that led me to this type of music. It's so funny, too, because talking to so many women, folk can kind of feel like, just like you were describing, like a little bit of an insult, which it totally isn't, but it can feel like that. And especially when you're a girl with an acoustic guitar, of course, you're a folk singer. Yeah, there's all these presumptions or stereotypes or that sort of thing. I mean, genre just does that in general. Everybody that's in a box or or of a genre is trying to escape it somehow. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) You know, like they just want to deny that they're any genre and including myself especially songwriters historically we've never been the type of artists who want to make the same record you know there's a lot of bands who kind of make a career out of making their sound their record but songwriters historically are the kind of shapeshifters a little bit well that's a perfect segue to talk about the shapeshifting that you did into this album i wouldn't say that it's like this radical change but it is an evolution in your sound do you want to talk to us a little bit about loose future yeah well just to bring it back a little bit my first records were borderline proggy you know indie records and it was funny because my breakthrough record this record honest life i thought in some funny way I was making my sort of satirical Bob Dylan country record or something like I was like I'm making a country record so the (laughs) the trajectory of like how my career has happened is really funny because you know the world got the first snippet of me in this moment where I was pivoting actually from this like indie prog sound and so it's a funny journey to lose future because a lot of people are like oh you were like very folky and or Americana or whatever you want to call it and then you landed here. But in some ways, it almost feels like I'm kind of returning to a more exploratory sound that I had in my early 20s. And so this record for me was like, I finally had a time frame of like two months where I could really dive in. And I love ballads. And I always make ballads. They're just in me very deep in my Scottish and Irish blood. But yeah, I felt, you know, I was spending a lot of time in this island and just a lot of summer feelings beginning to like form some semblance of self-love. And I just wanted to make a record that grooved, that had alternate percussion. I've always really loved Paul Simon records and I love textured harmonies and I love different sounds because I think creating synth sounds is a way of emoting as well. So yeah, I just got excited and Sam was the perfect person to make it with. 
Maybe this is a good place to play These Are Good Old Days. Yeah, that's a great choice. We had the amazing Chris Bear on drums from Grizzly Bear, and he is just a genius at percussion and never does the drum part you expect, which was so cool to witness. And so we wanted it to be like scintillating and floating essence. are the good old days. Courtney Marie Andrews, our guest today on Shiro's Radio. The new album is called Loose Future. So we were talking about Sonics and how your sound evolved and basically found its way back to the beginning. Maybe this is kind of the synthesis of that journey, you know, in some ways, like you're saying, the full circle. What about lyrically? Where have you noticed that your writing has evolved or changed? Well, you know, it's funny. So there's probably a whole other record of songs that are kind of the counterpart to Loose Future that are much more lyrical, more kind of poem songs, I would say. But with Loose Future, I really want to like act out lyrically and sonically the simplicity of certain records I love, like Tom Petty or The Cure. He's kind of like packed in a punch type songs. Like I love a good pop song. For me, it's like my version of a pop record. So lyrically, I really wanted like choruses you could sing to, but that also embodied these big image topics, you know, that we all feel. Songs with a punch that have this chorus, like a Tom Petty song would, where you can really grasp onto this idea that is very universal. I've read that you also felt like you so often wrote about heartbreak and you were in a place of really wanting to write about love in all of its forms, self-love, romantic love. Yes. And that those themes found their way weaving through this record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a huge part of it. I actually just described this to a friend. I feel like this record is for me like emotionally standing in a doorway, right? It's like you have all your cobwebs, messy closets, past stuff in the house, and you're stepping out into the world ready to see what's next. And that's what this record feels like to me. It's like the possibility, but not diminishing the past stuff, you know? So it's like, here I am. I flawed like we all are, and I have a crazy past like we all do, but I'm ready to embrace whatever comes. And the only way you can do that in a way that is going to keep you safe is with a lot of love, you know, for yourself and for others. And also, the more you love yourself, the more you welcome good love into your life. I find in talking to women who find success in music that they go through a period of imposter syndrome. I wanted to kind of check that with you and ask whether that was part of this journey for you. You saw a lot of success, especially on this last record, Old Flowers. You got your first Grammy nomination. How that success has intersected or not with your own journey towards self-love. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if this is a version of imposter syndrome, but I definitely have like this part of me that if things are going too good, I'm like, okay, you stock up all this good stuff because soon it'll be bad. Like, you know, it can't be too good for too long. I have more of a distrust of the good things that can happen. And really what I've learned, and I'm still learning it all the time, is every morning, check off what's good in my life and accept that, you know, and not always be looking for the bad or for what could possibly go wrong. But yeah, that's super real. Well, where should we go next musically? Uh, let's do, we're talking about self-love, loving our bodies, loving sexy things, maybe. We'll do me and Jerry. I don't know if any of you were single during the pandemic, but I was, which was a very interesting time to be single for the first time in almost a decade. And uh, by the time it finally came around that I could date and experience these things that come with non-singledom, such as sex and dates. <laughs> me and Jerry just rip-roared out of me. It was like ready to just talk about, you know, I think what being locked up, isolated, not dating, you, you get really in your head about a lot of things. And this is just about like embracing the love for my body and a love for like sensual things, which is so taboo in our culture, but it's so great to be like, yeah, I, sex is great. So. And if you don't mind me saying, also particularly taboo still for some reason for women to talk about. Exactly. Like, right? I mean, <laughs> I know. So I just had a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like, yeah, sex is great. <laughs> like a question. <laughs> I'm like, should I? I know. It's so funny. <laughs> like blushing. Andrew's here with us on Shiro's Radio. That's me and Jerry, a very sexy way to end this album. As we're talking about being sexy and loving your body, what is the experience of being in your girl body, doing this job of music, mm -hmm. been like for you in terms of that gaze, yes. in terms of being yeah. in the press, social media, being on stage? Well, obviously there's a lot of pressure and it's changed a lot and it can be a lot more covert nowadays, but it's still there. You know, when I was a teenager, it was still very much the pre-Me Too world of music. And I was touring around with men who were very nice and had lots of great experiences. But there'd be people on the crew that would treat me very differently because I was a girl. And it still happens occasionally. And that that's painful. I think it's even more painful now than it was when I was a kid. Because when I was young, even though I was a feminist, I was so oppressed in that world, right? that it was even hard for me to like realize that they were happening. But now that I'm older, when I now that I'm so aware when those things happen, when you're disrespected or treated lesser than, or people think you're a quote unquote bitch, you know, if you know what you want. And there's all these sort of like microaggressions that can happen, right? But now that I'm aware of them, it's more painful now in my 30s when I notice it happens than even when I was a kid. So it's an interesting thing. I think every day I try and get beyond that 
those placements of art and what we are making art for being a human more than just being what people's perceptions are of my sexuality or gender or anything. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to do, but yeah. it's a goal. Yeah. I was going to say, how, so, you know, how do you navigate that when you come up against it? Um, it's hard. The thing that's hard as a woman, I think, is like the niceness thing. Like, mm. oh, we have to be nice or else, you know, we won't be accepted or like, again, they'll be like, oh, she's a bitch or blah, blah, blah. And you can be assertive and still be a kind person. But for whatever reason, those are so blurred with women. People yeah. like don't really get that. So I think my own personal protest is to every day to, to always try and be in line with what I want as an artist. And that's been my protest throughout my whole career, you know, is I am not a compromiser. And if I can keep a consistency with never compromising my art, to me, that's the most feminist thing I can do. But as far as those microaggressions that happen with males and how they treat us occasionally in these situations, I don't play into it anymore. If it's happening, I won't laugh. You know, I think I used to just kind of like laugh, like, ha ha, and then like be really sad after. And now I, I get very serious. <laughs> and that kind of makes them realize right away, if you don't laugh or like, ah, you're right, you know, I don't know anything. That just feeds the whole thing. But if you're just like, cool, you think that? Great. It completely shifts, you know, and you don't even have to say anything. They know yeah. now. They're like, oh, I That's did that funny. thing, you know? It's crazy. These dynamics are so embedded in us. It's really so old that even if you're actively trying to make them not happen, they do on some level always when it comes to like male, female. And it's so interesting. I took on a, a female tour manager almost two years ago and it was mind blowing because we could just so freely have such deep respect from the start. And there was no weirdness. There was none of that. And it, it's not to say that I won't, I mean, obviously Sam, you know, and I co-produced this record and I work with amazing men who are wonderful, but there's always something to navigate in the world with them, you know, even the best of intentions, just because of how ancestrally deep that is. So with my female tour manager and I, there's none of that. There's just like from the start, a mutual respect and understanding. It's just easier, <laughs> frankly. And it's a lot easier to talk and not feel that kind of, am I being mean or am I being too demanding or something like that? It's just understood somehow. Yeah. I wonder how do we shift that for the future? Mm, yeah. I mean, I think hiring more women in general, having women on tour for me now or queer folk is like essential. Like I can no longer be the only female bodied person on tour. Like it completely changes the dynamic. It's crazy. And I think, you know, having a more like balanced patriarchal, matriarchal system in general is like that balance, you know, we're out of balance. So I've noticed even the men I tour with, when there's more women in the van, the conversations are very different and the energy is very different than if even it's just me, you know, I've done some tours where it is just me and a bunch of men and it is an imbalance, right? So trying to balance that always, if you can, is so important. I struggle with the whole women in music thing, too. You never say a man in music or a male musician. Gender as a genre. Is, yeah, well, that's what keeps us off the radio. It's like those kind of descriptors. When I was growing up, 
there was a lot of the chicks with pics thing. <laughs> oh God, uh, yes. You know, I, you remember that? And I was yes. always like, as a feminist punk girl, I was just like, this suck. Like, <laughs> I was like, I just want to play the festivals everybody else gets to play. Like, the dudes get to play. Why do we have to have chicks with pics to like play a fest? You know? Because but then at the same time, you're like. But we also want our own space and we want to make a point. And that's so, why, you know, it's like a dichotomy. Yes, it's yes, really. Yes. Yeah. But it, that was also around the time where it literally had. I mean, I probably talked to many women on the show who were like, and it happened to me where it'd be like, oh, we just signed a woman. We can't sign you. Or That happened oh, just, to you. Oh, yeah. That is such a common thing. Like the space is getting so much better. Now people are like, they want the opposite. They want more queer people, more people of color and women and, and that sort of thing, and which is amazing. It's the table should be turned. There should always be space for all types of artists. So yeah, I understood Chicks with Picks was like this catalyst to give women a platform, give women more space, but at the same time, didn't get to the root of it, which is, oh, you know, at that time, you have two women on your 100-person band festival. Let's actually just invite the women at Chicks with Picks over to this festival and rather than like give them the special room that not as many people come to because it's a stigma. And we're still fighting that uphill battle. Absolutely. That's why that, that's why the Instagram account Book More Women exists. Yeah, exactly. You know? it's uh, crazy. Courtney Marie Andrews, it's been so awesome to hang with you. I feel like I could talk with you all day. Do you want to pick a song to take us out with? Yes. Let's do Let Her Go. This is written about a beautiful soul who is so free that you don't want to capture her. She's got wild flowing hair In the California East She'll make you fall in love with A heart you can't keep An actress with a voice Pure as honeybee Once again, thanks to Courtney Marie Andrews. Thank you so much for being here on Shiro's Radio. What a pleasure to hang with you. Congratulations once again on this gorgeous new record. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your great show. So happy to be a part of it. While you have her attention, love her and let her know. Many thanks once again to Courtney Marie Andrews for being with us. Her new album, Loose Future, is available now on Fat Possum Records. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at SheRose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.